Sarah's going to come and read to us our reading for today. It's the same reading we've had for the last uh, few weeks. It's John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, and Sarah's going to share that now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all may believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this week I, I learned something brand new, which uh, old dog and trick sort of works well for me. In fact, you can teach an old man new tricks, because I learned one today. And that was I was introduced to the splendor of Wordle. Now, I know I'm very late to the party of Wordle. I know many of you have been doing Wordle over many, many months indeed. But uh, does everybody know Wordle? People here don't know Wordle. So there we are. It's like people don't know Jesus, you see. That's why we have to keep talking about it. But Wordle is this uh, very intriguing uh, word game that after I preach this sermon, you will go home and you will make sure that you do, okay? Because the word Wordle apparently is the most searched word globally on Google in 2022. Isn't that amazing? That the word Wordle is the most searched word on Google in this year. Don't you find that amazing? No. Okay, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? I know, I understand that. But, uh, but anyway, that, that's a fact. Now, this was released by a software engineer whose name is Josh Wardle. Isn't that weird? That Josh Wardle developed the game of Wordle. But apparently it started during COVID when he and his... Uh, girlfriend couldn't see each other, so they started playing this game, which now is called Wordle, and has swept the globe, even if it hasn't swept Newcastle Baptist Church uh, greatly at all. But anyway, please, please, it has. You get six attempts to guess the word of the day. There are no clues. You have no idea what the word could be. It could be one of any countless thousands of words in the dictionary, but you get six attempts to guess what the word of the day is. And if you get a word right, but in the wrong place, a letter, sorry, a letter, right? Thank you, Claire. I'm glad you're here today. Just testing you're awake. If you get a letter right, but it's in the wrong place, it's highlighted with a sort of yellowy color. If you get a letter right in the right place, it's highlighted with green, okay? So during your six attempts, if you're very clever you can work out what the word is. And I need to tell you today, 
that I am clever. Because <laughs> my very first attempt at ever doing Wordle, I got it right on the sixth attempt. <laughs> and yesterday, when I did the Word of the Day, anybody else do the Word of the Day yesterday? I got it right on the third attempt. And do you know what it said? The, the screen said, genius. <laughs> so the jury has come back in and declared that I am a genius, at least on Saturday anyway. I haven't done today's word, but you can go home and Google it and you'll be able to do it yourself as well. So that's Wordle. Should we pray and go home now and then you can do it? Or if you've got your phone, you could do it now if you want to. But please don't, because I've got a few other things that I want to say today. I've got a wordle for you today. Out of John chapter 1 and verse 14, I've got a wordle for you, okay? So this is the first word of my wordle. Logos. It's the word that has been echoing through our sermon series so far uh, this Advent. Logos, a Greek word used by philosophers and theologians as well. In philosophy, it just means the appeal to reason or something that relies on logic, logos. In theology, it's the word that John chose for, that we translate for word. So in the beginning was the capital W word, the pre-existent, before all time word. In the beginning was the logos, the word that we understand now to come and be with us. And John has been building up to this this great declaration in verse 14 of John chapter 1, all the way through, if you've got your Bibles, in verse 1, he talks about in the beginning, the cosmic word. Right at the very beginning, the word of God is cosmic in its nature, universal. It was here before anything was here. Before anything was made, the logos was present here in this system that we're part of. The creator word. In the beginning was the word, the logos, and the logos with, with God. And through him, through this logos, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is the creator, the creator, the power of the creator's word, the logos that is among us. Brighter than darkness, more powerful than death. This is God himself present before the beginning. His very, his very word. In Hebrews, in chapter 1, right at the beginning of this, this book of Hebrews that is a mystery to us still and we don't really know who wrote it. This is what the writer says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. This is the Logos, the powerful, living, creative, cosmic word of God wrapped up in a person. Because the very next thing that John says in verse 14 is, he made, the word became what? The word became flesh. The word became flesh. Can you imagine the impact of John saying that? Can you imagine? 
Are you beginning to get the wordle things now? Okay, okay. That, that's just a bit of a clue. Um, can you imagine the impact of John declaring that? Imagine to his Greek audience when he says the word became flesh. That was anathema to the Greeks, that God would become flesh, bodies like us. That wasn't the point of life for the Greeks. They had many more ethereal things in their mind. But John's saying the word became flesh. Not a man, not human, but flesh. And the Jews, how would they feel listening to John declaring that the Logos has become flesh? Well, the Jews would be beside themselves because they revered God's name so much they didn't even speak his name. And now John is saying, no, 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 the word has become flesh. There's something real about it. There's something that we can relate to. There's something we can understand because we are flesh. The Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X. It means a body just like all of us have. That's the power of what John is declaring. The Latin uh, for, for flesh is carno. That's where we get the word carnal from. And the Spanish for, for flesh is carne. That's where we get chili con carne from, yeah? Meat. It's real. And John is saying this, declaring it to this audience who have no concept that that could even happen. But the Logos has become flesh. The creator, cosmic word, has become flesh that we can understand. If you look at the four Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you look at them, Mark, probably the first Gospel to be written, where does he start his Gospel? He starts his Gospel with the ministry and the teaching of Jesus. He starts his Gospel with the words that Jesus is speaking. Okay, the next Gospel, Luke, where does he begin his Gospel? He begins it with the birth of Jesus. So the incarnation, we're getting a bit closer now. What about Matthew? Where does Matthew begin his gospel? He starts his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. He's saying Jesus is not only here, he has a past as well. He has a link to the past. But where does John start his gospel? John starts his gospel right before the very beginning. Because this is such an important concept for us to understand. This isn't just about the teaching of Jesus, although that is powerful. This isn't just about the incarnation of Jesus, although that's crucial. This isn't just about the fact that Jesus comes in a long line of of families and is human in that form. No, he comes, Jesus comes as the pre-existent, logos, powerful, cosmic, creator word of God himself. And yes, it means he has a family line. John chapter 1, verse 15. John says, he who has come after me has surpassed me because he was before me. There's a story behind this coming of Jesus. And John wants to declare it. Jesus has a name. It's personal, just like Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah and you and me. Jesus has a name. He's come in flesh. And we need to understand that so much, knowing that then because we know then we're not on our own. So small wonder that John, John the Baptist, says to people around him, look, I want you to look to see this is the one we've been waiting for. You can see him. He is here among us. He has become flesh. 
John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of, of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. This is so important to this Christmas story that we hold so closely in our hearts. And then the most amazing thing after that is that not only the Logos became flesh, but the Logos became flesh and, and dwelt among us. He's here, John says. Look, he's here. He dwelt among us. You can see him. He lived he tabernacled, says the authorized version. He pitched his tent in our midst. He, as Eugene Peterson says, he moved into the neighborhood. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 40, you can read all about the tabernacle this afternoon. You can read all about it. The tent of meeting that the children of Israel carried with them through the wilderness. And whenever they stopped, they pitched the tent. And there was the presence of God in the midst of the camp. The tabernacle was right there with them. Right at the center so that when they got out of their tents in the morning, they would go out of the tent flap and there would be the tabernacle, the glory of God dwelling in their midst. This is what Exodus chapter 40 has to say. Exodus 40 and verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all all their travels. See, God dwelt with his people and Jesus comes to dwell with us. And whenever the tabernacle is in view, then the glory, the glory of God reveals himself. And so this cosmic creator Logos who became flesh, who dwelt among us, brought with him the glory of God the same glory that the Israelites would see through the tabernacle because he came, he pitched his tent so that we could see his glory. So no wonder John writes in John 1.14, and we have seen his glory. God's presence released, real in the very life and the person of Jesus. And this Hebrew word for glory is kavod, and it means a heavy weight. It means the presence of God is so heavy upon them. The weight of his glory is very among them. They know he's there. They can feel it. They know it. It moves with them. They're obedient to it. It's small wonder that in Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses says to God, Now, show me your glory. I need to see it. And you may be here today saying, God, I need to see your glory. This, I'm not sure where I'm going next. I'm not sure what's happening. I can't make sense of it. I need to see your glory. I need to know which way to, to go. Let me feel your presence here. Do you need to feel the presence of, of Jesus with you? Do you need to know that he's with you? Show me your glory, God. And even in our imperfect and in our brokenness, 
and the things that are not complete now, we're still wrestling to try and catch up with them. I can get a sense of wholeness by encountering the glory, the heavy weight of God's presence at work in my life. There was a moment when Moses, as as I said, wanted to see God's glory, and God said, you can't see my face. In Exodus 33, you'll read the story where God takes Moses and he puts him in what's called the cleft of a rock. And the glory of God passes him by, but Moses can only see where God has been. If you like, he can only see God's back. But John declares in his gospel, we have seen his glory. Because the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, we have seen his glory. And Jesus invites you to look in his face. He wants you to look. And what is God's glory among us? What is his glory? His glory is grace. Grace, charis. You know, one beautiful definition of grace is that God is leaning towards you. Always leaning towards you. That's his posture towards you today. He's always leaning towards you. No matter how far you drift away from him, no matter what you do, either deliberately or not, that isn't of his pleasing, he is always leaning towards you. That's his grace. And it is truth. Full of grace and truth. And what is truth? Well, it's the opposite of illusion. It's straightforwardness. It's telling it as it is. And somehow Jesus combines these two perfectly. Grace and truth. John writes he is full of grace and truth. My guess is that most of us, we struggle to get these in perfect balance. But Jesus has got them sorted. He leans towards you. But he also shows you the way to live. The straight way to live. Often for us, we we might be full of truth and very little grace. Or we might be leaning up towards people so much that we fall over and truth doesn't get a look in. But Jesus, grace and truth combine perfectly in him. And as he leans closer towards us, then he reveals that truth into our lives. He shows us where we're not quite headed in the right direction. You know, wh- wh- one definition of the, the Greek word for, for truth is like a, an arrow shot straight, never deviating from its, the pathway. And I have this image of this arrow being shot and grace running alongside it, ensuring that it stays its true path. And that's in our life as well. That when we know the right way to live, grace is running alongside you, nudging you, just pushing you to keep straight in your life, to make the decisions that please the Father above everything. And this is the point of what John is writing about. The grace and truth has always been part of God's story. From the very creation and before. It's always been about grace and truth. John writes in verse 16, out of, the fullness we, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. You see, this is like a major top-up. It's already been given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
So that's our six guesses. We still haven't come up with the word, have we? So as it's Sunday, we're going to have another, another go. And I'm sure you know what the answer is, don't you? Do you know what the answer is? Of course you do. It's Jesus, isn't it? The word is Jesus. It's the word for today. It's the word every day. You can't get it wrong. Because the word has become flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, grace and truth demonstrated. Demonstrated through the cross. Because you know what the Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He tells us that the Logos who became flesh and dwelt among us, he became sin for us. Can you take that in? Can you believe that? He became sin for us so that we might be forgiven and discover life in all its fullness. That's the glory of the Logos becoming flesh. He identifies with you in your weakness because he's flesh, in his understanding because he dwelt among us. But the good news is he's full of grace and truth and continues to walk alongside us, leaning towards us, cheering us on as we set the path true and straight to live as he calls us to live. This was always going to be the answer, wasn't it? And it's still the answer. And it's the answer for you and for me today. So do you know him? Do you know the answer? Because whatever you're carrying today, he is the answer. And I don't say that glibly or make light of it, but he is the answer. And I long for you, for us every day, to put our lives in his hands for him to direct our course, to set us straight so that we might see his glory and so that others might come to encounter him as well. Have you seen his glory? Do you want to? Do you long to? Well, today's your day when you can encounter him again because the word has become flesh. And has dwelt among us and still dwells among us. And we've seen his glory. And it's full of grace and truth. It's Jesus.